you have your, if you have your Bibles with you this morning, please feel free to turn with me to Isaiah chapter 6. That's the Old Testament reading today. There are some uh, outlines on the back table there if you'd like to take some notes and uh, follow along this morning. And you'll see that the words highlighted in a different color uh, are what goes in the blanks there for, for your outline. Isaiah 6, 1 to 8. What an incredible uh, picture. It doesn't even, picture doesn't even capture it. A theme. Uh, a, a vision that we're given, uh, poking into the eternities, uh, like the curtain is being drawn back for a moment, and Isaiah brings us by the Spirit with him into this uh, in- incredible scene. Uh, how do we express it into words? Isaiah is, is putting it is putting it forward here, and and we hear then of of, of God's call to Isaiah for special, unique purposes, which we find ourselves linked. To as well. Well, let's go to Isaiah chapter 6. In verse 1, we're, we're told that in the year that King Uzziah died. Now, you know I'm a historian. I'm a historian from my college major, but I'm a historical, historical buff, too. I enjoy history. So as soon as I hear something like that, the year that King Uzziah died, I want to know what year that is. Well, it was about 740 B.C., all right? And Isaiah is relating for us in time, in history, in the, the, the reign of a real king, this is what happened then. So God's activity, his activity in which he in, encounters human beings and he interacts with us, is marked in history, in our lives. And we can mark it in per- particular times. 740 B.C., one of the things, uh, events that was going on there, an, an, an Assyrian king named uh, Kilgath-Pileser, Kilgath-Pileser, uh, took his army uh, from the north and came down into the south and started to raid and invade the northern ten tribes of Israel. By 722 B.C., all of the people of the northern tribes of Israel would be dispersed throughout the kingdom of Assyria. Their bloodlines would be no more. The next time we hear about those people are in the New Testament as Jesus makes his way, and particularly he has this conversation with a woman at the well in Sychar who is a Samaritan. The Samaritans were the leftover people who had interbred, intermingled over over those hundreds of years in the Assyrian uh, Empire and made their way back then to their homeland in Israel, but they weren't pure Israelites anymore. So in that year that King Uzziah died, the historical stage is set for great activity, not just on, uh, on earth and in the kingdoms of the earth, but, but in the kingdom of heaven as well. We go on as we hear that in that year, the Lord God said, Isaiah, you are going to be my prophet. I set you apart for the particular task and role of speaking for me to the people. And some of that that Isaiah speaks is truth for the day. <laughs> God's people, here we are. This is the truth for today. Some of that that he would speak was also truth for that which was to come. And he would be God's spokesman foretelling the promises, particularly of the coming Messiah. That would be the, the, the coming Savior, the fulfillment of God's promises throughout the Old Testament that we know today, who is Jesus. And Isaiah is set apart for this particular purpose of his. And in his calling, we hear, Isaiah says, I saw the Lord 
high, exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. This is going to be a repeated stanza of a hymn that's sung later on when John is given his revelation. The final word of the Lord to us, his church, his body. The final, final time in which we hear the word speak by inspiration through his, through his people. The Apostle John has a vision in which he sees, he hears these seraphim singing this same song. And guess what? <laughs> One day we too who are in Christ, who are in Jesus, will bear witness and hear this song. We might even join him if he will. So how do we capture then, at the sound of their voices, that the doorposts and thresholds shook and the temple was filled with smoke? And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. How do we capture there we go. How do we capture this incredible scene? Artists have tried to capture it for centuries. This staggering, immense view into the eternity in which Isaiah now proclaims the holy name of the Lord Almighty. How would you respond? How might I respond in this kind of presence in which Isaiah reads this is how Isaiah reads it. Woe to me. I'm ruined because I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Isaiah lays it right out. Woe is me. I'm ruined. In fact, as Isaiah cries out, woe to me, I'm ruined, really what he's, what he's putting into words there for us is this is the cry of a desperate heart, isn't it? Who am I? Who am I to give thanks to the Lord God Almighty? Who am I that I would see into these mysteries? Who am I that he would pat me on the shoulder and include me in his plan? Who am I to bear witness to these great eternal realities? Woe is me. I'm ruined. Many, many, many centuries later, another man, would cry out with a desperate heart. Another person would cry out and seek to put the, that, that cry of his heart on paper and put that cry into heart so that we as people would be able to relate to it. It was in December of 1772, the same year in which our congregation had its first official act of a baptism in April, so in December of 1772, John Newton, 47 years old, living in Olney, England, cried out with a, a desperate heart, Woe is me! I'm ruined! And began to put those thoughts on, on paper in a hymn that we know called Amazing Grace. While that was the cry of his heart, what he was crying out unto the Lord with was a recognition that the Lord God doesn't keep us here in our ruin. He moves us and takes us to be where he wants us to be because of his grace. 
And so John Newton would pen this hymn that for 250 years the church would be singing. In other words, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. John knew many of the same kinds of hurts and disappointments that Isaiah knew that we even know today. John knew what it was like to have a loss of a, of a parent at an early age. His mother died, and his father was a seaman and out to sea, so he was alone. And that most of his growing up years, lonely, hurting. John knew, too, what it was like to have difficulties in relationships, because when his dad did come home, they fought, quarreled, argued, because they really didn't get along that well. What John was longing for was, was a relationship with his dad, and he never had it. And John also knows what we know, bad choices that lead to despairing consequences. <laughs> it was in the pursuit of, of money, of a better life, that John joined the slaving trade and captained slaving ships, slaving ships for years. Until one day, the Lord knocked on his heart, and in that holy call, John recognized the glory of God, recognition by faith that grace is calling you to something else, to something greater and bigger than just a minor role. Because John also knew this, like Isaiah, what, and what we know too, is the power of a saving God. A saving God who knows where we are. He knows exactly what's going on with us. He knows our ruined state. And yet he doesn't want us to stay there. He calls us to himself by that amazing grace to be his new sons and daughters. And Isaiah experienced it this way. One of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. And with it, he touched my mouth and said, see, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. Now you would think that a, a live coal touching your lips would burn your mouth and, and render you unable to speak and leave you in great despair and pain? Not so. For in just a moment, we're going to hear Isaiah speak with those very lips that now the angel has said, your life has been atoned for. And your life is changed. The Lord God has had mercy and grace extended to you here in this activity. This activity in which Isaiah's life would be changed to an act of the Lord God's amazing grace. Amazing grace. That same kind of grace we know from our Lord and Savior Jesus, millennia later. Jesus was walking through the towns and villages of Galilee. He was healing. He was teaching in the synagogues. And he was looking around at his, his people, the Israelites, and they were like sheep without a shepherd, harassed, roaming around, leaderless. And he had compassion moved, in other words, from the inside out to do something. This is the activity of a saving God who loves us and acts for us on our behalf by his grace. He's moved because he knows who we are, where we find ourselves in our brokenness and pain. And he does something about that. He changes our lives. John Newton would it this way, amazing grace, how sweet the 
Take a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found. Was blind, but now I see. Hidden, but now I'm known. But we are known. The amazing activity of our Lord God in our lives that moves us to be who he wants us to be. When I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Isaiah would go on to say, uh, or, or the Lord would say, Isaiah would hear and relate as the Lord is speaking, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, here am I, send me. God's amaz- the Lord God's amazing grace doesn't just save us, but it moves us then into his saving activity. Isaiah had the opportunity to proclaim that message of a saving God, his amazing grace. Later on in his life, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him God with us, Emmanuel. We celebrate that in the gift of the Christ child at Christmas. We live with that gift every day, the amazing activity of God's grace for us in our life. This Lenten season, as we begin this Sunday and move now through the next week, we're going to be taking a look at and exploring in other ways how God's people, men and women of his scriptures, encountered the saving grace of our Lord God and how their lives were changed, how they were moved. And we'll be using the hymn, Amazing Grace, throughout this Lenten season in different expressions. You're going to hear the choir sing, you're going to hear some instrumentalists, you're going to hear it all expressed in a lot of different ways, even as we're singing this morning. That original John Newton hymn, Amazing Grace. So what about you and me? 740 B.C., Isaiah was called into his prophetic ministry. December 1772, John Newton began writing Amazing Grace. What about today? February 26, 2023. A day that marks for us a date in which we celebrate our lives being changed again and ongoing day after day by the Lord God's amazing grace given to you and your Savior Jesus who has forgiven you all your sins, has claimed you as his fellow brother or sister in the kingdom, who expresses and gives to you the very inheritance that due to him he shares with you and me who's gone ahead of us to prepare a place for us in eternity and empowers us now with his Holy Spirit. So that when the Lord poses the question before me, whom shall I send? We say, here am I. Send me indeed. Father in heaven, as we hear your word this morning and as your word changes our lives and moves us into your purposes, we praise and thank you for that amazing grace known In Jesus, penned even by John Newton, expressed for us in your word by Isaiah, and known deeply and intimately in our own lives. Thank you, Father, for this gift. Thank you for your amazing grace. We live it, we thank you for it, and we sing to you because of it. In Jesus' name, amen. Come, friends, and let's sing. 